Welcome to Clapton's. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. On this episode of Clappers, we're talking. Kevin can fuck himself. Oh, language, young man. And we also talk about The Offer. We're talking about the Jeff Bridges series, The Old Man. Scott Morrison, Chrissy Hines. I know you want to talk about The Offer. Well, Am I right? Well, I know you want to talk about the offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did talk about talking about it <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> and you said, oh, let me watch some. And so uh, I, you, I thought you, I'd seen you it be, You may be an offer I couldn't refuse. But <laughs> yeah. I, at that point in time, I could because I hadn't seen it. And, and now I have. I've seen the whole thing. And well, I thought I had yeah. two cars, so I just need to arrest you momentarily it, yeah. it seems that there's a 10th episode i there thought is. it ended at the end of episode nine i've not seen episode 10 right. i obviously know that the godfather became a movie and was made and, and so there's probably no surprises in in that so that you know so that there's no surprises for the for the dear listener who may not know what the hell we're talking about yes the offer is okay it's uh, it's a docudrama about the making of the film the godfather and if you have read or enjoyed books or and, and sometimes screen adaptations of, of The Kid Stays in the Picture, Adventures in the Screen Trap by William Goldman, um, Easy Riders Raise, Raging Bulls by Peter Biskind, and you, you know, you've got a, an interest in uh, the renaissance of American cinema, maybe we, we say it started with Hal Ashby, um, uh, with Harold and Maud, maybe it started a little earlier with uh, other interesting films that had Hollywood people but were quite away from the mainstream of entertainment. They'll, I think, really enjoy the fanciful remembrances <laughs> of Albert S. Ruddy. I don't think I have ever seen a television show or a film that is based on the reminiscences of one person. It's always got primary sources, books, a book even that, that's been fact-checked and edited. But a man sitting there stroking his chin reminiscing is what gives us everything it, that we see on the screen. the <laughs> strangest credit I have ever seen, I think, yes. on a series, which which says, uh, you know, created by Michael Tolkien and um, I've forgotten who the other writer is now. Leslie Grief is the other co-creator of it. Based on the experiences of Al Ruddy or Albert S. Ruddy in producing. Sorry, I thought it said reminiscences. But I mean, it is the reminiscence. So, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Either way, it is the strangest thing you've ever seen. And I, I've just found myself, I hope it's by accident, I've read a couple of biographies recently and watched a couple of biographical shows like the like Pistol, which we talked about. And what's always enjoyable in perhaps an unkind way, is when you're watching or reading something that's based on one person's view of events, you get to see them be the hero on almost every page. Uh, the Kids Days in the Picture, which is the Bob Evans autobiography, and then there was a, a TV or, or film doco made of it, starts with, um, I'm just having to test my memory here, a quote that says, there's your version, there's my version, and there's the truth which is attributed to Moss Hart. And that couldn't be more appropriate to this show, The Offer. Barry is mad at the world because it sees him for what he truly is, a no-talent prick. But he feels like he got to win, like he's the big man on campus. Let him think that for now. It keeps him out of our way. I mean, I'm not being so relaxed about this. Francis, he's about to quit. Said every director who eventually finished their picture. Trust me, Francis isn't going anywhere. Look, I, I, I really like this show, even though 
I can see and concede there are so many things that are not great about it, right? There are so, so many points at which it's a bit cheesy, mm-hmm. it's a bit hackneyed, it's a bit yeah. sort of, it plays with, you know, sort of off-the-shelf tropes, I think, in some ways. And the, uh, it's copped a lot of hate. Uh, uh, some of the reviews oh, really? of it are really pretty oh, really? savage. Yeah. Um, but I think there are so many things to like about it. But I would oh, say over, overarching, the, the main thing is that if if you have any kind of love of, of movies and appreciate them not just as a thing that is on the screen, but mm-hmm. involves a whole bunch of work to get it to the screen, then... I, you know, the the business of show, I, I think it's oh, really, scenes. really fascinating. Yeah, I scenes. mean, it's, it's kind of a love song to producing and, you know. <laughs> song to himself, mate. Well, well yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's true. One, that's true. Point, one point in the nine episodes I've watched, there's one point where he isn't saving everybody and saving everything and saving lives and saving the film. We actually admits that he did something wrong. There's one point where he apologises to... The uh, Betty, his his yeah. production secretary, uh, after she slapped him in the face, quite rightly for being so rude. Yeah. But apart from that, he is uh, a magnificent hero of Hollywood. He saves uh, poor Bob Evans from drowning uh, in. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I'm just gonna, I'm going I'm going to pull you up on that a little bit because I I think you know the, I think the key line the. The key, the key line in this is when mm-hmm. he rocks up to Bob Evans and he gets handed the job of producing this pulp novel, The Godfather, mm. which he hasn't read, and he has to fly mm-hmm. over to uh, New York and woo um, um, Puzo. To he says to Bob Evans, "So what am I supposed to do?" And and Evans says, "Whatever it takes to get the picture picture made, right?" And that is, I think, the key line in the whole mm-hmm. show. It's basically about whatever it takes and whatever it takes yeah. involves an enormous amount of moral compromise and Absolutely. personally dodgy behavior i mean there are moments at which i think uh, any objective reading of al ruddy's behavior is that the guy was a bit of a creep he was he was a the terrible egotist he cut people he you know he did dodgy deals with some very dodgy characters <laughs> the most, mafia. mostly Let's the mafia say, i mean we're yeah. talking we, we are yeah. talking about the godfather yeah. i think we can say the word the mafia yeah. Yeah. well he, he, even he, though he even though Joe. they couldn't. <laughs> no, even though, yeah, they, they're not allowed to say it, but we are. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. he deals with Joe Colombo, uh, who is a, a capo in New York, who... Played here by Gi- Giovanni Ribisi with the, the most, the most bizarre kind of voice, kind of a, and a big, big fat face. Yeah, um, yeah. And look, it, it's yeah. His he he does deals with the devil, and it's I, I think it's really compelling. It's hard to to, to not watch uh, in in the sense of take your eyes away from your screen. The actors are fantastic. Um, Matthew Good, you say, plays Robert Evans. He is. I can't take my eyes off he's him. Fantastic. His bizarre voice, his gestures, his charisma. It's just one of the most enjoyable characterizations I've seen. And Juno Temple, who people might know from Ted Lasso, uh, is also fantastic as Betty, um, who, who fires. He, he hires a secretary, Ruddy, and she just walks in and fires her um, straight away and, and installs herself as his secretary. <laughs> That's a great it's, scene, it's, isn't it? I know. <laughs> the guy who plays Marlon Brando, um, Justin Chambers, is, does, gives a very interesting, impressionistic view, a version of Marlon Brando. It's, it's wonderful. It really is. And it doesn't bother me at all that it's probably only 25% verifiable. 
Yeah, I would. I wouldn't know what the percentage is. Uh, I'd say that you know. It, 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 I'm it, saying twenty five percent. Okay, I'm saying okay, okay. One in four words is real. Uh, did you love <laughs> Francis Coppola? He was hilarious, needy, e- e- egocentric himself. Um, just. A lovely characterization. There's a great scene. I think it's in, well, it's towards the end. It's around episode seven or eight or something mm-hmm. like that, where there are, you know, they're, they're going to Sicily, then they're not going to Sicily, then they're going to Sicily, they're not going to Sicily. <laughs> and then it all seems to be in place. They're going to Sicily, and then um, another sort of uh, mobster leans on on Ruddy, and, you know, he, he thinks he's going to have to pay the, the money they've raised to go to Sicily. He's going to have to pay his protection money. And um, the, they're having a sort of like a wrap of the New York shoot party and Coppola is really sort of ebullient and he's like, we're going to Sicily, we're going to Sicily. And then he gets the news and, and he's just like, you know, at that moment, Ruddy is dead to him. You know, it's just like, and it's just, it's just this beautiful little moment where like, you're, you're my best man, you're my best mate, you are the best person in the world and then I'm not getting what I want, so you're dead to me. And it, it was just it, the, the ego of the director, you know, and I mean, mm. part of what I love about this is that it serves as a corrective to auteurism, you know, the, the, the notion that the director is the sole creator of the film. And it's, I mean, anybody who's ever been near a film set knows that's not the case. I mean, they may be, they may have their hand on the rudder to a greater or a lesser degree, but often, and I'm not saying that The Godfather is this, is this situation exactly, but often producers are the originators of projects so they're, they're the people who mm-hmm. not, they obviously get the funding they they you know bring various people together to make it i kind of feel like it's a really useful corrective um, and i and i don't want to say that directors bring nothing to the table because that, that would be equally stupid as to say they bring everything to the table but it is a, a much more complex dynamic and, and workplace and, and process than the director is the sole originating talent of import in the creation of any any filmed work. Well, obviously, it, it starts with a blank page, and who puts the words on the page? You know, without Puzo, there's no Godfather. Mm. He did write the book, yeah. and uh, that's well and truly clear in in this adaptation. And I. Again, behind the scenes, it was really enjoyable watching the opposition from the company Gulf and Western that owns Paramount mm. against the production of this film and against the production of other films. It was quite tantalising to see films that you know down the track went on to become highly successful films getting thrown on the pile. And we're not making this. No, we're not making this. And, and you know they eventually get made. It's uh, yeah, For people yeah, who, who have seen these films and who, who think of American filmmaking of that mainstream filmmaking of that period as being something you know worth enjoying i think this is this is definitely something to watch um just one little footnote um mm. colin hanks son of tom tom hanks plays yes. the gulf and western um senior exec barry lapidus uh, now yep. this is a fictional character he's sort of like an amalgam character right he's not he's yep. not based on a he's not based on a single human as uh as, whereas most of the other characters are um, I think it's really interesting the name they've chosen, Barry Lapidus. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever watched the show Episodes 
I suspect you did watch the show episodes. Have you seen did it? Did I? With Matt I LeBlanc and Stephen Mangan and Tams and Greg. No, no, oh, no, definitely not. It's a wonderful show about, about you know, two English <laughs> writers who've had, husband and wife, who've had a, a hit sitcom in England and they get invited over to America to remake it. And um, and they they get sort of railroaded into into casting Matt LeBlanc in it, even though he's completely wrong for the character they've written. They they <laughs> they get wooed by the stu- by the studio, uh, um, and the head of the studio is played by John Pankow, who is fantastic, and his name is Merk Lapidus. So I wonder whether <laughs> there's a, a deliberate echo in this fictional character of another fictional character who is kind of the the representative of everything that's kind of wrong with the studio system. Um, well, I, yes, you know, I, I could know. offer I could offer an alternative. Would Go you on. like my alternative? Well, uh, Latin being one of my favourite languages, as mm. you know, we speak it around here often in preference to English. Lapis is stone yep. and lapidus is a surgical procedure to move remove bunions from your feet. <laughs> If you're getting a lapidus, get those bunions taken off <laughs> off your feet there. <laughs> so a pain, an awful a pain, pain in the foot, a pain in the foot, yeah, pain or a pain in the uh, the wood panelled office suite. Yes, it could be either. Great. Then since it's also your party, you get to pick up the supplies. Get to. <laughs> Okay, but if I do this, you have to behave, okay? No liquor, only beer. We have that appointment at the bank first thing tomorrow. Hey, I'll take it easy like Sunday morning. It's Monday morning. What? Huh? <laughs> I've been watching a show that is one of, the, one of the most interesting and strangest things I think I've ever seen on television. I'm going to say a word that we don't normally say on this podcast, so parents, you might want to block the ears of your children. <laughs> Okay. But the show is called Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Oh, yeah. It's it's a show about a woman who is unhappily married to a drone, uh, a, a man who has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, and she's miserable. What we see is the highly saturated, coloured sitcom view of that marriage as if it were a sitcom, and the tropes and the lines and the corny sitcom uh, marriage and household and friends and neighbours is all there for you to see. And then the moment she leaves the room or walks off screen, it's like we're watching The Wire. It's grim and it's nasty and it's ugly, and this woman is really on the verge of falling apart as a result of being married to this 10-year-old in, in a, a, a 40-year-old's fat body. At some point, she realises that he has uh, taken money that, that she'd got as a loan to go to uh, university but didn't go and spent it on sports memorabilia, and that really is the final straw, and she decides that he needs to be killed, and she's going to get him killed, and she all goes through the motions of, of trying to get a hitman and trying to organise this, and it, all the while, this show going backwards and forwards from like a married-with-children type set with bright colours and the the laugh track and the goofiness to this grim, you know, <laughs> wire type, uh, or smilf type lighting and, and all the characters are forthright and probably blue collar. Uh, she hasn't got any friends. Her, her, she forms a grudging friendship that perhaps will play out to being a real friendship with a woman who lives next door. Uh, and she starts an affair with, with a, a guy she used to go to school with. I mean, it's just everything is kind of <laughs> it's not, it's not quite working out. And I don't know if Kevin will ever get killed because he provides a lot of the um, 
a lot of the points for things to, to be bounced off. But it's it's I'm about I'm probably a couple of episodes away from the final mm. of this first season, and uh, they're they're going to make another season. But it's really shocking and interesting and strange about uh, you've got the sitcom where the woman is the butt of the jokes and she's gorgeous and he's a you know dickhead and uh, there's lots of laughs and you know they've seen sitcoms like this before and then you get the real you know behind the kitchen door the behind the the bright lights version and it's quite disturbing at times and and poignant I think yeah it's yeah. not funny I don't think it's very funny I can't remember if I actually laugh at any point in this show it, yeah it, I think it's meant to be at times but but I didn't didn't think I, I, I laughed at it at all I, I've watched the whole series. Um, I reviewed it when I'd seen, I think at the time I reviewed it, I'd only seen three episodes. That's all that was available at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was I was very much in two minds about it. Um, uh, you know, Annie, I think Annie Murphy is really good. Uh, Annie Murphy, who people yeah. know from um, Schitt's Creek. Um, and not me. Uh, you don't, you, you've not done Schitt's Creek. Do yourself a favour, <laughs> mate. Do yourself a favour. Okay. You know, she's great, but I mean, I had trouble with the dynamic in that half of the show is uh, it's the kind of show that I would never watch. Right. So the sitcom, mm-hmm. the sitcom component, yeah. and I and yeah. I understand why it, why it exists and the kind of dynamic that operates between these two halves. But I would never willingly watch a show like that. And so being in a situation where you you're just sort of like forced to watch, you know, twelve yeah. or fourteen minutes every episode of this overlit kind of you know knob comedy. Mm. Um, in order Nob to get comedy, that's a genre I've never heard of. I like it. <laughs> Nob comedy. In order to get to the yeah. the interesting stuff about her dilemma being trapped in this terrible relationship, um, I you know it's kind of like ah, what other show am I watching where half of it is grating on my nerves? Yeah. You know, that's that's not something I would ordinarily you know subject myself to. So, I mean, you know, I. I I wrote about this, like, good though Murphy is, she can't get the show over the logical elephant in the middle mm. of its overlit room. Why doesn't mm. she just leave him? Kevin may be a schlub and a chauvinist, but it, does he really need to die? Just forcing him to get his own beer would surely be punishment enough. Now, having made it all the way mm. through the show, um, it, you know, it's still, I don't, I'm not entirely sure it, can, it convincingly resolves <laughs> that problem. I mean, like, it's like, yeah, he's a dick. Yeah. Just yeah. go, you know. Um, yeah. She is penniless or, you know, close to penniless. She, she has a lack of confidence, a crushing lack of confidence. The, the serious part of this show is about a, a woman who is trapped by not just the the sort of the the um you know what the man in in the dynamic represents but also her own kind of lack of self-esteem and and independence and and you know confidence in her ability to strike out and so you know that that's a that's a difficult thing to sort of um play with in this show that is kind of halfway still ostensibly a comedy mm. you know it's kind of it's a it's a weird it's a weird proposition i mean i found it i found it really really fascinating a really interesting piece of work i'm not sure that i think it entirely works um it does get really quite dark towards the end and there is a moment where it started to you know i started to think oh is it really yeah. going to go there um yeah. and it doesn't quite go there but it does start to rupture the the conceit of it a little bit um towards the end and i think you know i'll, I'll go i'll certainly mm. go back and watch more of it because um i'm really interested to see how 
it is resolved ultimately because it is i think it's a really big challenge that they've set for themselves in making this and the structure they've they've um you know lighted upon but or lit upon but it's um you know it is uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable I think that's watch all reasons, but it's a really interesting one giving to all reasons to well, firstly it's american mm. and it's 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 trying to um juggle two different styles of very successful uh, American visual entertainment and perhaps mm. comment on those forms of entertainment as well as provide a story about an abused wife um, with a, a husband who's yep. robbed her. And people have been killed for less. Yep. He treats her terribly. He speaks to her terribly. He, ref- he refers to her in, in such awful terms that I think you, you, it, it's not too hard to make a case for emotional abuse. I don't think there's any physical violence that I've seen anyway but so But one far, thing I would say is he's absent from the dark half of the drama, right? Yeah. Do you think he shouldn't be? Well, well, I'm just saying that, it, it, like, in terms of, like, the notion of her being abused, right, you mm. get him being a knob in the on, in the brightly lit comedic half of it, but he's completely mm. absent in the, in the dark half, right? And I think it makes it hard to, to go... I mean, I don't think that anything in the comedy half quite amounts to, you know... Uh, a viable defence for battered wife syndrome, let's say, right? You know, I don't, mm. I don't think, I don't think you would win the case in court on that. I mean, it's it's problematic because it because it is so, you know, structurally, um, you know, ambitious. I think in in some ways this show, but but I think that's one of the problems I had with it is like we don't see enough. Well, we see nothing of Kevin in the dark half of it to know is her. Uh, you know her antipathy, her, her hatred of him, and her desire to kill him. Is it grounded in something more than I'm sick of having to get his beers? You know. Mm. Well, I think that the, the, the another way of looking at that is that he only lives in that world. That's how he sees the world. He lives in a fantasy world mm. of fast food, sports memorabilia, and beers. Mm. And the real world, the one that she occupies, is the one where he's absent from because. He, he doesn't live in that world, mm. and that 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 works for me. I don't I don't think I need to see him in 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 the the, the part where 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 it's dark and mm. grim. Can I recommend a book to you, Carl? You certainly can, Andrew. Okay, it's I, I believe it's just come out, but sometimes I do this. I find a new book and it's been out for years. <laughs> it's called The Game. It's a lot of books called The Game. This, The Game, is written by Sean Kelly and it's about the rise and fall of Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Mm -hmm. And I can't, if I wasn't talking to you now, I'd be reading it right now. (laughs) I I honestly can't stop thinking about it or reading it. It's incredible. I I just grabbed it, yes, Tuesday, and I'm already almost finished. It's incredible, man. It's Now, Sean Kelly was a staffer for Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard, but he allows... Uh, allows a lot of the judgments to come from the man's own mouth and he uses a lot of other journalists work and talks about how how journalists work and what they're doing and 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 when it comes to bias when it comes to uh, wanting to show politicians in certain lights and it's as it's as interesting because it's about the man who was prime minister scott morrison but it's also interesting because it's about 
journalism and it's about image and it's about how, how, how you can create yourself and still be yourself but also be another self and present that to the public as your real self, your authentic self. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. If He said himself when he was asked by his publishers to write this book, he couldn't summon up any interest whatsoever in Scott Morrison. He couldn't think of anybody he would less like to write a book about. Yeah. But it turns out that he's found a way to write about this as Malcolm Turnbull considers him very ordinary man and make it fascinating. Mm. So I recommend it to you, Carl. But I don't expect the listeners of The Clappers to want to read political <laughs> biographies and books about Liberal Prime Ministers or, or Labor Prime Ministers for that matter. I do. I enjoy them. But, look, I also, after watching Pistol, I also went and, and believe it or not, maybe you will, uh, went and read Chrissy Hines' book. All right, uh, okay. reckless. Yeah. yeah, that was. She seems to be like. Well, she's the most. A couple of people have said to me she's the most interesting part about that TV yeah. series, yeah. and it was very interesting reading her book on her life and and as a girl growing up in Akron. Uh, and and moving to England, it's a that's a really interesting book too. If you're interested in that, if if the if Pistol looked interesting to you, if you enjoyed Pistol, then I'd suggest having a look at Reckless. Now I read it in an interesting way. I started from halfway into the book, from where she's in because I thought I'm not going to be interested in all that early stuff. I started from when she gets to England, got to the end. I thought, you know, I maybe I'm a little bit interested in, uh, in some of that. Maybe that's a pretty interesting stuff. The early stuff, the you know, childhood. So Swinging on ropes. Uh, are you, are you recommending this as a new way of reading all books? Uh, well, not this one. Not this Scott Morrison book. Let me, let me just ask if um, Steve Jones figures mm. in her story, uh, in yeah. anything like the detail that she figures in the story in his story, which he is what does. Pistol is based he actually, on. He actually does, but he's not the only man in a famous band in her life. Mm. Some of them well, she you get. She was a lot married to Jim Kerr from Simple Minds, wasn't she, for years? <laughs> Don't think he should mention his name in this. Oh, really? <laughs> that, yeah. that ended well. In fact, then. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain <laughs> she doesn't mention his name in this. Um, really? Mentions Ray Davies' name okay. as well. Um, and look, while we're on the topic, I also, for my sins, read uh, uh, the first book Pamela Day Barr wrote. Now, her and Chrissy Hine are kind of both sides of the same coin. They both love rock stars. Yeah. Whereas Chrissy Hine wanted to be a rock star, yeah. Pamela Debar just wanted to be with one. Yeah. And both give very interesting, a very interesting look at how women were perceived, how women were treated, uh, how women existed mm -hmm. in the um, milieu and in the orbit of the famous rock stars of the late 60s and early 70s. It's not really my favourite topic or my favourite thing, uh, groupies, that is, and, and rock stars. You've had your fill of that, right? You've had your fill. My age, mate. It's, uh, you know, a cup of beef You're tea. Beating them off with a drumstick, right? That's you. <laughs> now, Andrew, speaking of old men, or yes. speaking as old men, perhaps. Everybody's favourite topic: old men. Of, as, to, whichever, whichever preposition you prefer. We are old men. Talking about sure, old man. Yes. Um, yes. The old man is a series coming to Disney Plus. Jeff Bridges plays mm -hmm. a 
retired CIA agent who's been living in uh, a peaceful obscurity for 30 odd years since uh, being involved mm. in some dirty shenanigans in Afghanistan in the in the tail end. This is going. Yes. And uh, then, of course, uh, he's no longer uh, in peaceful obscurity. Uh, he's being hunted and he goes on the run. And it is a cracking, cracking adventure espionage thriller. Uh, I love them. Yeah, I think I think you'll enjoy this. I mean, it's got shades of something like Three Days of the Condor, that kind of you know yeah. throwback to the seventies conspiracy thrillers. It's got definitely yeah. got shades of Homeland. Um, it's got what's that? I don't know that. What's Homeland? Oh my god, yeah. man! Been living under a rock. Um, is, Claire Danes. Is that the one where Claire Danes where, is a where CIA the, agent? So, yeah, that's the one where the brown people are destroying America with their with their bombs and their conspiracies, and and the white Americans save I America think that's from a brown people. Very right? simplistic rendering by somebody who clearly hasn't watched the show. But you know, no, I just saw the I'll, I'll, I'll let you have, it, I'll let you have that one just so we can move on. Right? <laughs> oh my it's a chase story, is is what it is. And yep. Jeff Bridges plays a man whose name is Dan Chase. Well, oh. And he is on the run from probably about 10 minutes in. But the f- the first you see of him is, and, and I think this is quite brilliant, the first probably seven, eight, nine minutes of the show, and it opens, and the, the opening titles or the opening credits, it's a, just a single shot, and it changes from episode to episode. It's a sampler, and and this sampler has, um, by sampler, I mean, you know, one of those, um, you know, embroidery kind of things that hangs on the wall, you know. Oh, no, I didn't know what you meant. I'm thinking of a digital piece of equipment that you used to. And it's got a tree, and it's got two dogs, and in each episode, the position of those dogs and what's going on in the sampler changes ever so slightly. So, and, mm-hmm. I, and I haven't quite worked out what the pattern is in this yet, but that's, it's a cute little cute little thing. Anyway, it gives a sense of, like, you know, peaceful domesticity and so on. And with you first see him, he's it's like there's a, you just, it's a dark room, the digital clock is in the corner, it's one nineteen or something like that, and he get he shuffles out of bed, and he goes off, and you hear him peeing in the bathroom room next to his, his bedroom right and then and it's just a static shot and then almost well, well it's the same shot but it's now 359 and he's getting up and he's doing it again and then there's a third one and so you've got this sense of like he's an old guy prostate, prostate. shuffling yeah. you know he's, he's a bit knackered basically yeah um and not up for the chase not up for the chase <laughs> and then, no and then why do they choose jeff bridges why do they choose a younger man who's yeah. up for the chase yeah, crazy crazy <laughs> talk about terrible casting <laughs> What about that Ronnie Malik? He'd be good. So, are we sure? I beg your pardon? The cognitive tests. Oh, yes. Yeah, these look fine. There's nothing out of the ordinary? Nope. Why would you want there to be? It, it goes from this crotchety old geezer to, to a man who is basically wrestling around in the desert, beating, beating up a, an agent who's half his age. And I have to say that it... It does stretch credibility in his his physical resilience, although you see him limping and battered and bruised and, you know, his body just beaten to a pulp. You see him sort of wearing the pain of these encounters, but the fact that he's able to get up at all is maybe a little bit fanciful. He does have this as yes. two great big dogs who come to his aid at very <laughs> crucial moments. So so that shouldn't be ruled out. The dogs of the sampler, no doubt. No doubt. Two and great big dogs. Big, some, you know, some bull mastiff type things. I mean, people who are more into oh. dog breeds will know what they are. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's damn good. I've seen, I've seen the first good. four good. of seven episodes. Mm. 
it is great. It is great. One of the things that's really interesting about this is they started shooting it in um, just pre-COVID. It was shut down by COVID. Then they started up again. Yes. And then Bridges, who was, I think, 70 at the time, was diagnosed uh-huh. with lymphoma. And so they had to stop again. Right? Yeah. And, and then he had treatment and that went on for quite some time. They only started uh-huh. shooting it again early this year and then finished it, you know, months later and, and here amazing we are. Amazing continuity work to make, it's, make that it's pretty fit incredible. together. They, right? they kept trying to shoot without him and they did they did a little bit, but obviously <laughs> the show is all about him. I mean, sorry. It's not, it's I a, mean, the dogs are great, <coughs> but, you know, they can't deliver a lot. Well, line. actually, there is stuff they could have done because it's set in two time periods and so there is, there is a guy called Bill Heck playing the same character as a much younger man, so, you know, 35 years uh-huh. ago. So uh-huh. they could have continued with that stuff. And I've got to say, I don't know... Yeah. It's, this is one of my pet peeves when when you get like split time zone um, stories and the casting they always mm. have somebody who looks nothing like the main you know <sighs> your stars right in this I, I think it's absolutely brilliant that they've cast people who look so like the main characters so Hayam Abbas who plays the wife of Brian Cox in Succession is the wife of of Jeff Bridges in in this but. I mean, it's complicated, but I won't go into too much detail. But then yeah, there's a, a woman, uh, an Israeli, well, I'm guessing she's a Palestinian-Israeli woman called Lim Lubani who plays her as a younger woman. And, I mean, you look at it and you go, yes, I buy that. You know, Bill Heck, yes, I buy that. That's a younger Jeff Bridges. There's a, John, John Lithgow is in this as, as his agency boss. Uh, and the guy who plays him as a younger man, yes, I buy it. And I just, I just like, I think, yes, it's fantastic. I mean, obviously, it's not always possible, but gee, it's good when it happens. Thanks for listening to the Clappers once again. You've enlarged your understanding of the world and of culture <laughs> with Carl and me. Scott Morrison, shameless. Hi. What is wisdom? Shameless. Wisdom is what people get from this. 